the show that goes all in on the characters, details, things, and games of that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, and I'm joined by my holocron keeper, Ross. Mac, great to be back today. We are talking about one of both of our favorite things mm-hmm. in the sort of modern Star Wars uh, palette, Jedi Fallen Order. Oh, it's so the good. video game from 2019 that is just awesome. We don't have any other better way to put it. Uh, spoilers ahead, though. We are yeah, going we, to talk about the game in relatively moderate detail from beginning to end. We're going to discuss the story. We're going to touch on the gameplay a little bit and uh, just kind of exhaustively review it. Um, yeah. Just kind of go through everything that makes it what it is. It's an amazing place. I do suggest that you go and check it out. If you just want to get the overview, you're not a gamer. I still suggest you go play it. But if not, we are going to go through... It and- has a fantastic, easy story mode. If you don't want to deal with the True. gamingness of it and just get the details, great way to do it. And it's one of the most important chapters of New Star Wars, and I think one of the brightest spots in Disney's tenure of Star Wars. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Highly recommend it. We are going to talk about it right after this. Is this all of them? Yes, second sister. We seek a dangerous fugitive. This is no common anarchist, but a devotee of the treasonous Jedi Order. <sighs> Failure to turn over this traitor will result in a charge of sedition. Turn yourself in. Or everyone present shall face summary execution. I think it's time someone came forward. I, uh, I've been working on this heap a long time. Way before the war. Refit and rebuilt ships. Best in the galaxy. Then came the Empire. Ralph. We all know the truth. We're just too afraid to say it. To the Empire, we're all just expendable. Yes, you are. <laughs> no! Look at this, a lightsaber. I found the Jedi! What's that? Checking out the disturbance. Oh, that hurts. Hold it, don't move. How'd you get here? Easy now. Okay, so it was a blisteringly cold morning in the windy city of Chicago when myself and friend of the show, Chris, headed down to the convention center for uh, one of the panels we did get into, which was EA was going to announce a brand new Star Wars game. Now, this is, I don't know, what, 10 years ago? Because it was 2019, so like 10 years Mm ago. Give or Um, take, yeah. And uh, I remember thinking that there was a lot of rumors that it was going to be this sort of action-adventure game and that it was going to focus on a, you know, a Jedi character. I think 
we had maybe heard murmurs or Twitter had announced like sort of like what the saber looked like and, and maybe the name of it by that point. But this was the grand reveal. And they introduced to us this weird redheaded kid in a poncho who was going to go and survive in the dark times of the Empire. And we learned about the Purge Troopers and that Inquisitors were going to be chasing him. And basically how much it stinks to be a Jedi during the Purge era. <laughs> and it was fantastic. And here we are now. That game would release that fall and we're like almost to the day, two years away from its initial release. And I think this is the game that sort of put faith back into, yeah, Star Wars is a great video game property. It can do a lot of things. Well, the last time we had gotten a sort of single-player Star Wars game before this that had the hype and momentum around it that this did was The Force Unleashed. Yes. And that was 2008, so 11 years prior to this. I mean, the sequel, I guess you could argue, but basically The Force Unleashed was the last tentpole single-player Star Wars game preceding Jedi Fallen Order, right? Because I mean, it not... had that energy of this is a brand new story. This is an right. important story to the Star Wars canon, and it is... It is only going to be told inside this video game because we had had Battlefront, which mm -hmm. was a perfectly fine game, but so multiplayer focused that it didn't really have a ooey gooey heart for mm -hmm. people like me who are terrible at shooters. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Battlefront 2 had come, but it Corrected had some of that. It had a huge PR problem on many fronts when it mm -hmm. came out because of its monetization strategy. But the central like uh, single player story was absolutely great. It was. But was also kind of buried in that story of like, yeah, we have single player too. It's yeah. really great. We, we did a lot of work on it. You, you can play that too, I guess, but open the loot boxes. That's yeah. what we really want you to do. Yeah. Um, and so it was one of those things of like, cool, EA, you've had this license exclusively for a while. And other than some mobile games and the same shooter twice, <laughs> what, what have you been done for me? And here comes Respawn Entertainment, known for, like, Titanfall, known for making these really tight shooters. They were the guys who came from the Call of Duty studios that made Modern Warfare. And it's like, what are they going to do? And they're like, guys, have you been playing these Dark Souls games? We want to make one of those, but, like, fun. I hate to be that jerk, but, like, if you like Dark Souls games, God bless you. But, like, I, they're hard for hard sakes. And if you like masochism, they are for you. <laughs> but what I like about uh, Fallen Order is it is that deliberate, slow, methodical combat, like where each strike counts. When you miss a, a swing, you realize that, oh, I'm committed to this and I got to wait for the animation to stop before I can do anything else. It has that sort of really thoughtful combat, but because of really, really good um, difficulty and accessibility, you can tune that to what you can actually handle. And one thing, since we're talking about the gameplay and the combat here right now, yeah. before we dive into story, is right. that compared to The Force Unleashed, you know, The Force Unleashed was very arcadey, very cartoony in its in its fighting style and its violence. Um, mm -hmm. in a in a really fun way. I mean, that game makes you feel powerful in the force. That game gives you uh, the ability to interact with your environment rather than just, you know, slicing things with a lightsaber. But this game yeah. takes it to the next level where not that this is a, I don't want to use the word complaint of mine because I think it's incredibly well implemented, mm -hmm. but it was something I definitely struggled with when I first started playing the game was I, you know, I had it on the hardest difficulty level because that's generally where I try to start. And uh, I was just having a really hard time feeling the flow of the combat. 
Right. But one of the things you learn as you go through in the game is that is very purposeful because your character is or has forgotten how to use his force powers, has forgotten how to wield his weapon in an effective way. And so mm-hmm. you're essentially using this sort of sluggish fight not sluggish that's not the right way to say it but this fighting system that doesn't feel like other games feel well force unleashed is drawing its inspiration from god of war devil may cry it is this very flashy and very power fantasy um you know style of character action game this game is far more strategic and deliberate and you know, you're basically never fighting more than one opponent at any given second. You are focused in on one one, then you may keep moving your reticle and your target, but like it is it's duel after duel after duel. And that gives it this very um this much more methodical, yes. this much more thoughtful pace and uh and like you said, it's great because it is our character reconnecting with the force and after a handful of years of sort of denying himself like who he is he is finally reconnecting with the jedi he's supposed to be yeah he's we will see him let you know what let's drive right into the story here so we start out on Bracca. Bracca is a junker planet you know sort of like raxus prime or uh you know, we see they're breaking down, uh, you know, Republic Star Destroyers. And, you know, they're uh, they're basically we know that the Clone Wars is over. We know that we're right. in the age of the Empire here. We see stormtroopers and we meet our Jedi, Cal Kestis. And Cal Kestis has basically got himself um, in in with the Scrapper Guild. And what the Scrapper Guild is doing is basically the Imperials are just keeping dumping like old Republic tech, but especially old um, uh, Separatist tech. And their job is to go cut it apart. We, we've seen this motif play out in Star Wars. This is kind of what Ray's doing on a much, much, much smaller scale. This is like if Ray had a union um, <laughs> and they were organized. Because what I like is the first level on Bracca is you moving through these broken down hulks and seeing all the like you know the spray painted signs of uh, you know this needs cut tomorrow and you know hey this part watch your head no step like all of this sort of very construction site as they're just taking arc torches and just slicing these things apart yeah you know that your character has been here for a while this does not feel like his first day on the job you know and that's really all the information we have about him uh, so as him and his friend are working on dismantling some of this, uh, some of this material, uh, the ship sort of collapses and they go tumbling towards the edge. And this sort of starts off your first little quick motion event of the game, something yeah. that I feel like I hadn't seen in games for a while. Like other than Uncharted, I can't think of many times lately where I've had these quick action well, moments in games. It's right about there. It was it was right about like the turn of the consoles where we sort of went back to using them. I mean, they never went completely away, but there's no, definitely like definitely out there. we overused them for a long time and so we're like sparingly bringing them back yeah. for again, making cutscenes pop a little bit, stuff mm-hmm. like that. For sure. And it works great in this game, I want to say. Yeah. It's it everything feels like it controls well. Um, I wish I would have gone back and had a chance to play more of it recently because mm-hmm. I have, like you, Mac, finished the game and we yes. both played the entire thing. Uh, but I have not recently. So I, I do want to go back to it before the sequel comes out. So we see that he uses his force powers, revealing himself to an Imperial probe droid, 
to save his friend. It's great because he uses basically, you know, kind of the force to reach out to him to help controls fall, bring him so he can grab his friend so his friend doesn't die. And we are like, oh, cool, he's a Jedi. And then there's just this great moment of like, I hope no one knows that. And then there's just an Imperial probe droid like scanning and taking pictures of that. And you're like, well, that's not good. Not good at all. So after the incident, they get on a transport. And even though he trusts his friend to keep his secret, he's a little weary. And he has a dream where he's sort of envisioning his past life. He sees his master. Mm -hmm. He sees uh, sort of what his life was before. And when he wakes up on the train, there are stormtroopers there and purge troopers doing a check. And then when they get off the train, they find Inquisitors. And this is our first chance to meet two new major players in this game. The second... Si wait. The ninth sister and uh, the second sister, right? Yeah. yeah. I believe it's nine and two. Yep. Um... And so we, uh, these are two new Inquisitors. Obviously, we've seen Inquisitors before in um, Star Wars Rebels. And this uh, naming comic convention. Books, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But these are new characters for us, and we will uh, have them recurring throughout the game. So uh, the second sister decides, uh, after a little conversation, she's trying to draw out this Jedi that they believe to be there. That they believe they have evidence of a I Jedi being there. And I love the strain of this because I think we see two things that are great storytelling. Because one of the things that's so important about this game is this is the, until Bad Batch, this is the most important bridge of what does the world look like immediately after the Empire takes back. We see literally the Republic being dismantled behind us. You know, yes. all these ships represent the fact of like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We don't even want to see the old ships from the Clone Wars. We need new ones to remind you that there's a new boss in town. Mm -hmm. um, and we are not that far into the Emperor's reign. You know, we're a couple of years in here. Right. And and I love the fact that we have everyone's under surveillance. These probe droids are absolutely everywhere in Imperial space looking for this stuff. And the speed in which the it is implied that the purge troopers, like the people whose job is to kill Jedi, they show up real fast um and it just shows how like at least at this period there probably are a lot of jedi that have fallen through the cracks that this organization the inquisitors are going and hunting them down there's probably not many left but like that this has been happening in all those intervening years is people have yeah. been being surveillanced and hunted um because this lineup is so stressful because his friend's trying to sort of like cover for him to make sure like ah jedi they don't even exist that's crazy talk yeah and uh, his, they end up, the second sister ends up killing his friend in an attempt to draw him out. And uh, when she does that, you know, she sticks one of her saber blades through his chest mm -hmm. and Cal draws his lightsaber swinging at her and she ignites the second blade from her yes. saber, blocking it, which was a really, really great use of a double-bladed saber there uh, as far as a cinematic way to do it. Really like that, something we have not seen before. Uh, really, really well thought out. And the Inquisitors do have those sort of classic double-bladed helicopter-type sabers, you know, with the round center. Right, that we saw so established seen with the original Inquisitor mm -hmm. at the beginning of Rebels. Yeah. Oh, I miss the Grand Inquisitor. He was so much fun. He was great. He was great. Uh, so after this, a little chase takes place where Cal is basically running from the Inquisitor, who he is definitely no match for. And this is where we get our... Um, our, our first introduction to the rest of our sort of hero characters for the rest of the game. Yes. Because Seer Junda shows up uh, with her, well, not her ship, but with the ship, and uh, lifts him off, yeah, lifts him off Braca. 
and saves him from the second sister. She basically says that we've been watching Imperial Communications. We figured out that they were hunting a Jedi here and we came to try and save you. We need your help. We know about this, you know, this project the Empire has been working on and we need you to help get it before they do. And again, really establishing the fact of this isn't the rebellion. This is just individual groups of people trying to do what they can to, like, work around what the Empire is doing, you know, to find some elements of hope and some ways to, like, push back against this darkness that's just covering the galaxy. Yeah, and we'll learn as we go. I think we can say here that that Seer is a former Jedi, but is yes. no longer using her connection to the Force. This mm-hmm. is where we also find out that uh, Cal's connection to the Force has been damaged, and he, you know, does not have all of his let's call them force memories. You know, it's like he knows he learned this stuff, but he doesn't remember how to do well, it. He doesn't have the ability to do it. I think one of the things they do very well in the storytelling is they really, really focus on, I would say almost the theme of the game is the trauma of Order 66. Oh, absolutely. Everybody who is like kind of central to the force is being shown as absolutely damaged by that trauma. And mm-hmm. so... When Cal is saying it doesn't feel horribly gamey, he's like, I, I don't remember those abilities. He's like, yes, because you had a trauma and you are literally mentally blocking them. You are literally yeah. suppressing that part of yourself because, well, your your events that just happened to you remind you of you. If you show that part of your side, side of yourself, they will kill you. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> such a great way from a game design standpoint to give your character a progression path. Mm-hmm. without having it just be here is a young person learning things for the first time. It makes them a more interesting and in-depth character. You know, it's not like Cal was just, he had just learned force pull and then all of a sudden order 66 happened. You know, right. it's like he was a more advanced Padawan, even though he was younger, but you know, things and, went down and they do a good job with the level design and the challenges they give you that most of the time when you say like earn a new force power, right? It usually feels like, yes, Cal was not in a life-threatening enough situation where he needed this one (laughs) until right now. So, like, let's use force pull. There's a a part where he's on these, like, platforms, and eventually, like, the platforms are falling out from underneath of him, and he's falling. And the only thing he can see to save himself from falling into the abyss is just this piece of, like, quarter vine that's hanging there. And he's like... I. I just need to reach out. And then we have the nice flashback where he's in training and we, we, the gamer, are learning the power from when he was practicing this for his master and showing his mastery of it. And then we come back to the moment and he remembers what he needs to do, yanks that thing towards him, and he's saved. And there's not really a moment in the game before where we, again, could have wanted it, but we needed it. There wasn't a moment we needed it. And all of the unlocks feel that way where they do a really good job of selling of like, you know, Cal needs this. He's at the place where destiny calls upon him to use this power again. And here's a reminder of where, where he, where he learned it, how he knew it, you know? Yeah. The game also takes time to set up a lot about, um, destiny and, you know, the, the path, the force has laid out before you versus the path the Jedi want you to take. You know, every character sort of goes on an unexpected path that they weren't expecting because of that trauma that we mentioned earlier. And that is another big theme of this game as we go throughout. Now, early on here at the beginning too, as we have Cal meetings here, 
we also learn that Cal has psychometry. Psych- psychometry? I can't really psychometry. pronounce Psychometry. Thank psychometry. you. Psychometry. Psychometry. Mm-hmm. Psychometry. Uh, which is essentially the Quinlan Voss power, the ability yes. to touch an object and uh, feel emotion and in this case he even has visions from the objects and is able to interpret we see he picks up an instrument and is able to play a song that someone else has played on it before because he's seeing it feeling it touching it yeah um what what was the other one artifact hunter there was a book that also had a a character who's sort of doing some of that oh yeah force collector force Force collector karnak sun karnak (laughs) sun Yeah, I remember weird that part. book. Weird book. Um, but but hey. we're we're slowly just establishing the fact that like the force, since it flows through everything, can sort of imprint itself. Or you know, the more a living being kind of interacts with an object, the more it kind of retains an echo of who they are. And people like Cal and other force users that have that gift can reconnect with it, which again is a great storytelling mechanic for a, for a video game. Um, where he can, you know, again, gain information without having to have a character there to explain it to them. And this all kind of comes to a head because the first planet we end up is in on Bagano. And Bagano is this interesting sort of relatively peaceful world. Like, yeah, when you first land, it's just like sort of these like white plains, like white plateaus with like grassy tops, basically. Yeah. Like these rocky... Um, pillars coming out of the ocean uh it's a very unique planet in star wars and yeah it's um when you're first dumped into the game world on this big open space it's kind of hard to to figure out what to do at first in my opinion it's very they give you a lot of freedom right away right and it's especially interesting because i think the thing that really hooked me up to this game is like it's using one of my favorite types of game mechanics which is um, often called the Metroidvania, based on Metroid and Castlevania games or, or Pathfinder games, where there's a lot of, oh, I could do that if I could do that. And you start realizing that like this hub of Bagano is going to be a place you're going to revisit a lot of times. And there are things you literally cannot do, places you cannot go. But you can just feel that if you just had this, you could yeah. probably get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that a lot today as we were preparing for this topic because... If I want to go back and play the game, do I start over from scratch or do I just try and 100% my playthrough from before? Mm. And so I'm kind of up in the air on that. But it's a game that rewards you. Um, I mean, even the story will bring you back to the same place multiple times, but the game rewards you for exploration and for trying things that are maybe not so clear cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's a ton of fun because it gives you the ability to sort of interpret what the game designers wanted mm-hmm. without sort of beating you over the head with it, you know? It, it does a lot of its... I mean, the great thing about those types of games is it tells a lot about the world and the mood and the setting through mm-hmm. the, the verbs the player has, you know? When we fight our way across Pagano and, like, the challenges of traversal and we get to the central temple, which is our job here, we're supposed to go visit this Jedi temple that's here... Yes. You know, it feels really earned, even though there is only one way. You you don't have abilities to make any real deviations. You can explore a few places, but like you really can't do anything except get there. And there's a very particular path you have to take. But it feels really earned because, again, it feels like a place that's been abandoned. That the bridges that are supposed to be here have given out. The and lifts are powered off. You know, that type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, so it feels like you're exploring this ruin and 
it feels earned later on when you like can repower those lifts or find a way across that bridge by using mm-hmm. a rope or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to the central temple and we get the central conceit of the game, the, the MacGuffin, the whole sort of inciting um, epitus for his journey, which is there is a holocron and this holocron is been kept by this Jedi who was a wanderer. He has been to many planets. He has seen many things because his job in the order was he was the keeper of the force sensitive children. He had an index of all the children across the galaxy who were force sensitive and potential, um, you know, candidates for being brought into the order. And that list has a double edged sword. If the empire gets it, they can make and mint hundreds if not thousands of new inquisitors to bring the you know the galaxy to heal on the other side this is the chance to maybe put the jedi order back together and start finally putting together you know uh life again uh series life again putting together the order and maybe putting it back together in a way that they could fight the empire but at very least their way of life will continue Absolutely. And all of this is shown to the player through two devices. The first is BD-1, our friendly droid companion who we meet here on Borgana. BD-1 is a new type of droid that we haven't seen before. He is meant to be older, which uh, I think they do a really good job of making him feel a little bit older and outdated. But he's very unique for a Star Wars droid. He basically is Mm -hmm. like a tiny little metal gear. He walks on two little legs. He's like a pair of electro binoculars with legs. That's a really good way to put it, actually. Yes. And he's adorable. And you can change his color throughout the game. And it's great. Yes. But he (laughs) has in his memory banks, even though his memory has been wiped, you know, part like his, his ability to remember their journey. He has these pre-saved recordings Mm -hmm. that trigger, I assume if we're getting technical based on geolocation, but, you know, by the force, basically, when they're needed, they trigger. Well, he, so BD1 went with, I'm not remembering his name. Cordova. Cordova, thank you. I didn't write down that name. No, it's okay. So he was a companion of Cordova, who, again, went on this journey and basically was the person who sort of hid away ways of getting to it. He didn't want the cron- the holocron to be easy to acquire, right? He, he It's part of his keeping of it. And also, obviously, you know, like, oh, things are getting, you know, the dark times are coming and, you know, he could feel it through the force. And so he prepared. And BD-1, like you said, is not force sensitive, but he's part of the force's will here. And like you said, when he gets to a certain location, the only way you could get there is if you were following in Cordova's steps, which is what Cal yes. is going to be doing for the rest of the game. Yes, and that's what BD-1 is here to facilitate. He provides the projections, which is Cordova, and Cordova basically explaining the plot to our character. And uh, this gives them their next lead. They need to head to Zepho. Mm-hmm. Now, when we arrive on Zepho, we, we learn that the Zepho were a, uh, a group of people who were Force-sensitive. They were a basically a sect of Force users like the Jedi, the Sith, the Night Sisters, mm-hmm. but their own sort of little tribe. And the Zepho were this sort of, especially for their time, this advanced society that had figured out all of these great little things and all of these neat little tricks. And this is sort of Cordova's journey was discovering the Zepho and learning about them. Mm-hmm. And that is the other part of the backdrop of the story that basically gives you the path you will take throughout the galaxy. Uh, now, we also learn here that Cordova trained Seer, Seer Jenda, the, the person who yep. sort of rescues Cal. And then we learn that uh, she also trained 
Trilla, a Padawan that she had, who she lost during Order 66 and didn't survive. Yeah. And because of her loss of her Padawan, that is why she's, she's no longer a Jedi, basically. Yeah, by by Cordova kind of mentioning and you know, kind of establishing that, like, oh, Seer isn't just some rebel. Because, I mean, she dresses more like a Han Solo. She's just got this kind of, like, spacer look. And so you're not really confirmed that, oh, she has a history with the Order until now. And it makes it kind of one of the things of Cal has this sort of energy of like, well, you could teach me. No. <laughs> well, yeah. I just think no. Yeah, she does not want any part in being a Jedi Master. We'd never see her use the Force here. You know, mm-hmm. we, we never see any indication that she is or was a Jedi. But she reveals to us that, in fact, she was. Right. And, and like you said, Mac, the trauma of Order 66 perpetuating. Yeah, and it and it kills her because her pad one died. It slaughtered her insides, and so when she survived, much like Cal, you know, you go underground because you can't reveal you're mm-hmm. a Jedi. Except whereas Cal, it's this reluctant suppression, reluctant suppression of who he is. For Seer, it's like, no, this is who I am now. I don't ever want to go back to that. I'm supporting you because I believe this is a good cause, and I think the Jedi are a noble cr- group that should come back. So you'll help me. I will help you, and that is the limits of where I'm going to go with this. Because, you know, Cal, this is your quest, not mine. Yes, and uh, it's a nice change of pace, right? Not the traditional sort of old master trope who reluctantly helps them. Basically, a person who says, no, no, it's not that I don't want to help you. It's that I literally cannot help you, right? right? Or I refuse to help you. Um, And it's, I mean, it's great here. All of these characters have their own personality, their own... Uh, plot points, and uh, I think they're all really well thought out. Yeah. Now, it's not long after this that we get the uh, sort of the first big reveal of the game, the first sort of big... uh, So, up to now, we've sort of just covered the first, like, 20%. So, we said earlier, spoilers, here are the Yeah, this is like the first two hours, three hours of the game, maybe? Yeah, pretty early on. This is still learning everything. And And one thing, and I just want to say one more thing, the environmental storytelling is so great, because I love on Zepho that you see the ruins of this civilization, yes. right? Yes. Um, this beautiful, lush, kind of like, almost like high steps of a rainforest kind of planet. And you see just the Imperials and what they're doing to the galaxy in just the environmental storytelling of like how there are Death Star tunnels just jammed through the rock. And like there are just Imperial installations just dumped in the middle of these beautiful like towns and towns stuff, and stuff yeah. like the brute force in which this pre-manufactured imperial tech is just being forced upon this planet i just absolutely loved it yes uh you know go through these natural caves and these these you know metal plant hallways and signs have just been bolted into the rock like it's such a great storytelling of the violation of what the empire is doing to the galaxy Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And that whole, I mean, like we said at the very beginning of this, it's all world building. Yes. This game is extremely good at world building. Whereas, like, you know, a game like The Force Unleashed felt more like, hey, you want to go to places you know and love? Yeah. This feels like we're doing things with a purpose. And I really, really like that. Um, Now, this is like where we said... Last warning before major spoilers here. <laughs> this is where uh, Cal, now he's going back. And you do throughout the game have to go back. You know, the whole game takes place in like five locations and you go back and forth between right. them, right? And so uh, here we have Cal and he gets lured into a trap by the knights, by the second sister. Keep saying nine. By the okay. second sister who reveals herself to be Trilla. 
Sears Padawan, who she believed Who's to supposed be dead. to be dead. Right. See, from a certain point of well, view, she yeah, did die. Well, from a certain point of view, yeah, really. No, it, she knows. But it is a nice poetry echo of that, of Seer has said she's dead because Seer cannot handle the fact of what she became. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, like you said, her Padawan is dead, right? Yeah. So we have this really great moment where they do have a fight. And throughout all of their interactions, it's cool because you get to see Cal is getting stronger. As he gets his powers back, he's able to stand up for himself more and hold his own more in these fights. Now, she does uh, sort of get to a point where she's going to beat him. But luckily, uh, he is, well, first, the first time they beat BD1 saves him. Yes. The second time they meet here with the reveal, uh, he gets her lightsaber from yeah. her. So she doesn't have her saber anymore. He takes it. And because of his psychometry, when he touches it, he sees everything that they went through. You know, he sees her uh, trauma. Yeah, yeah. Being tortured by the Empire, being turned into an Inquisitor. He sees that, uh, you know, Seer left her and the Padawans to fend for themselves. And that um, after she was captured, you know, she did not try and take her with her. So all of this stuff that just builds towards this character who feels like they took the only path forward that they had, you know, turning to the dark side. It was either that or um, nothing. Yeah, because we get the great impression of, like, evil Hogwarts because the Inquisitorium is basically a place where they just torment torture and break these people into inquisitors and one of my favorite things about also the kind of background of the inquisitors and the inquisitors know that they are a hundred percent expendable they have no value whatsoever like and i think that's so interesting because there's no they're like you know trilla talks about like i'd love to curry the emperor's favor perhaps i could raise my station in life but also secretly knows absolutely no chance of that happening but i still have to cling to something yeah they're they try to be useful as long as they can be useful. Exactly. You know, the I mean, we assume at this point it's the Grand Inquisitor pulling all their strings. Yes. And, uh, you know, they are trying their best to essentially stay relevant. But as more Jedi get killed off, the need for Inquisitors is less and less. Right. Right. Okay. So as Cal is escaping, you know, from his sort of second, well, third duel, I guess, technically, with uh, the ninth, the second sister, if you count <laughs> okay. his Brockadil. You can I know say I just Trilla. You can say Trilla I now. I can say Trilla now, yes. Um, as he escapes, he gets, there, there's sort of this one very unexpected random thing that happens in this game, and it happens here. Cal, as he's sort of just walking out of this planet, gets captured by a bounty hunter and gets knocked unconscious. He wakes up, he fights his way out of this sort of cell, gets BD-1 back, reactivates him, uh, and finds himself in the middle of a battle arena. Essentially, mm-hmm. if, you, uh, if you've if you seen Thor Ragnarok, kind of think something Very similar, similar to that. that, where you basically have a giant crowd of people, uh, and they keep letting all of these different kind of monsters and bounty hunters into this arena to fight Cal, and you fight them in these waves. And it's essentially like, you know, a big slave fighting arena where they're just forcing these battles for entertainment. And eventually the Mantis does come crashing through and breaks Cal out, thanks to, I think, a distress signal from B- from BD-1. Yeah, I think that's uh, right. If I remember correctly. And uh, it's a really interesting just side mission action beat that doesn't really have anything to do with the story. But it's very, very interesting and fun and a nice little detour, although very odd and jarring, in my opinion. Well, the thing is, it's supposed to be very jarring, right? It's like, a, what just happened? But I think what's actually smart about it is, well, yes, it doesn't really connect to the central plot. It, A, reminds you that you're in a world, and that world doesn't care always about the plot, right? right. You know. And then I think more importantly, 
it's a nice distraction from the really heavy hitting bombs you just got. Oh yeah. Like, so it's kind of like a, Oh, I'm just in a fighting arena. Got to survive. Okay. That's, that's a little bit of a different vibe than I've been going through right now. Feeling feelings. So it's kind of, that's kind of a nice change of pace. Absolutely agree. It is just a chance to have as a player too. It's a chance to just have some fun action moments where you're just kind of destroying things without regard for anything else. Uh, and because if you lose here, you're just right back in the same spot. You know, if you die, right, you just start the fight right back over again. So it doesn't feel like the same stakes as the rest of the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's really, it's a lot of fun. It's just a very, it's the one kind of strange, weird thing in the game. But I like it. I just assume at some point someone said, hey, we need a bigger action beat here. In the second act, and so they probably like it in. the Mandalorian. They just said we need some filler here, so just put it, put something together for filler. <laughs> like it, I mean, it is kind of filler. I, I agree with that, but it's different when you have gameplay filler because, yeah. like, again, from a tempo of the gameplay, we have something much more high octane and much more like kind of mysterious. Because, mm. like, to be honest, by the time you finally get one over on Trilla and kind of do well in the duel, you're like, yeah, I'm figuring this out. And this kind of knocks you back down a peg of like, oh, right, this it, is still hard. <laughs> it does, because when you get, when this bounty hunter comes to capture you, you do fight him, but it's one yeah. of those fights that's impossible to win. And so it's very, very frustrating uh, when you're playing it for the first time, in my opinion, but in yes. a fun way, in a what is happening way, in a this is unexpected way. Now, after Cal gets back on the Mantis with his friends, they head to Kashyyyk, where they hear Saw Gerrera is, uh, you know, doing some stuff. And they need to find uh, the Wookiees because they find evidence that the Zepho were friends with the Wookiees. Right. And again, another thing on Cordova's journey. And I love that we are establishing something that has been a pattern that continues to evolve. That Saw Gerrera is the central, like, linchpin of this era of Star Wars. That... After he, you know, leads the rebellions on Onderon, he becomes the... So you're thinking about being a rebel. Well, you got to meet Saw Gerrera somewhere on your journey. You don't have a choice. He, Everyone has to meet Saw. Will we work with you? No, he doesn't work with anybody. But you have to at least meet him. The Bad Batch had to meet him. You know, like, our heroes in Rogue One have to go meet him. Like, I'm sure Ahsoka talked to him a bunch of times when she was Fulcrum. Like... It's it's really funny, and it's cool to see him here because this, especially after seeing Bad Batch and thinking backwards of like, yeah, this is where Saw has got a militia up together, and he's finally fighting for freedom on some other planet. It's not just on Iran. He is finding places he thinks he can get the, um, what would you call it, the get the barnacle of the empire off. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. And of course the Wookiees are a particularly nasty place. Cause we see the, the dawn of its kind of era of slavery as mm -hmm. like the empire. And again, back to that molestation of the natural thing. Like you have these giant building sized crawlers that are just all these like sawing blades and the most like gross, like strip forestry that, you know, all these trees is being ripped apart by these just giant saw bladed ended I don't know, nightmare trains. I don't know what you even call them. Like, But yeah. it, again, it just shows how the Empire doesn't care. If it's natural and, and nice, that's great. It's in the way. And we're just going to plow right through it. We're not going to... We don't work with the environment here. The environment works for us. That's right. Well, it's just... It's 
an obstacle for the Empire to overcome. They don't see it in any other way of, we need to move this so we can lay a base down here. We can, you know, lay our operations down here. And they treat Kashyyyk like everything else, except with Kashyyyk, they have uh, the opportunity to develop a slave trade as well because Mm -hmm. they are going to take this incredibly strong and long-living species and use them as their laborers. And so after we get a chance to pilot an AT-AT and we see Saw and we go through all this stuff and Cal decides he's not going to join Saw's, uh, you know, little gang, um, we eventually get back to Kashyyyk. I'm crazy, but you're kind of crazy. <laughs> and we get to the point where Cal makes his way up this giant ancient tree looking for Tarful um, and fights with the Ninth Sister. Yes. Who, um, it's a really great fight. The Ninth Sister is this really big sort of like burly hulking figure yeah hulking figure who looks sort of almost reptilian from under her helmet the part that sticks out it's very very interesting character design and uh, he ends up basically force pushing her off the top of this giant tree and presumably killing her and i like that again the storytelling you're kind of getting through this is just where trilla you see the person in there like the ninth sister you can see as the ninth sister starts realizing she's losing, like there is just this anger, this rage, this hate, but also this almost relief because this is a, such a tortured person. They went through as much as Trilla did, except they're even lower on the totem pole. And like, if they don't kill you, their life's over anyway. We get sort of an echo of that energy that the Grand Inquisitor had of like, oh, I'm beaten. I'm going to go kill myself now. Why? I don't want to disappoint him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's way worse than dying. Yeah. And I think what's nice is that the nine sister just ends up being just tragic, just an absolutely brutalized person whose only job is to be a cudgel and dies trying to just be a weapon. Absolutely. Um, and it's, I mean, that's the whole point of this game. Like you said, is showing people with the things that they've had to go through and how that has affected their lives and how it still affects them even after those things are long ago and, you know, the memories are still there. They're getting maybe a little bit softer, but they're still incredibly painful. Yeah. And uh, that's what we're seeing here from all of the, all of these people. So uh, this is where we get a sort of big moment between uh, Seer and Cal, where she basically admits to giving up Trilla and use the dark side to escape from the Inquisitor's prison. And because she had to use the dark side to escape, she vowed never to use the force again so as not to use the dark side. She basically believes she fell to the dark side, and rather yes. than try and recover and become a Jedi again and use the Force, she's just going to say, no, nope, I'm done with the Force. It's not for me. Which warms my heart because I'm a big fan of like the statement that was made in many EU stuff that was combined together of once once you go down the dark path forever, will it dominate your destiny? Yeah. It's, it's not that you can't be a redeemable figure, but yeah. like, once you choose to embrace the dark side of your own free will, yeah. you can never fully avoid the seduction of that mm. ever again. Now, we talk, we've talked about this before, but it's an interesting point because the way I read, because once you hear that line is from, from Yoda, essentially. Yeah. Once you hear that line, the way I've always interpreted it is, well, Yoda's wrong because Luke proves him wrong by bringing his father back from the dark side. Well, and like what we're both saying is both correct. Yes. But it's... A very, it's once again, that certain point of view of Yoda believes that once you've gone to the dark side, you cannot come back. 
Luke, by doing things differently, by not right. killing his father, proves him wrong and proves that the light side can prevail over the dark side. Correct. Now, you can absolutely say that, yes, that person is redeemable in a physical way, but not in a cosmic grand scheme sort of way or whatever. But at the same time, and my you're also... Almost... Yeah, you're also saying like free will, right? Are any of yeah. these people really turning to the dark side with their free will? Well, that's and, the other side. And the of that fun too, thing about the philosophy of the force is dealing with the fact of like, is there a light side, dark side thing, or is that just the propaganda of the Sith and the Jedi and their dichotomy? Absolutely, yes. Um, because, but what I do think is established that I think Sir uh, represents is the fact of, again. Once you open that Pandora's box, it can never be closed. And so, like we see with, you know, even Luke struggles with this when we get to the sequel trilogies of like, yes, you know, he saved his father and there is that pull to the dark side. But you have to be constantly and internally vigilant of it because it is so seductive. Mm -hmm. It is so much easier to take the shorter path through there that once it's on your radar, it's really, really hard to deny yourself its its gifts and it's such a great analogy for the real world i mean obviously we're not sitting here moving things with our mind but we all understand or at least if you're a grown-up mature person you understand that the whole point of being a person and living is to grow and to change and to work on yourself and to become better and when you have these experiences of basically saying well this person failed once so they can never come back from that or this person is who they are and will never change can never like that is what makes all of this i think so interesting is that the whole point of the call to the dark side is it's not a one-time thing you could and by overcoming it you are saying i am better than this i can get past this i can work through this but that doesn't mean those thoughts and feelings are gone from you entirely and that you won't ever have to struggle with them again i mean People grow and change in different ways. And I think the argument of the Jedi is the fact of they're they're dealing with, you know, kind of absolutes of the idea of once you touch the dark side, that's it. You're tainted. And it's like, no, as we've seen with other other characters in Star Wars, like some characters have been again, have in embraced it and say it is part of me and it is something I have to control. And it is it is a negative part of me. But to deny myself that part of me is to deny my full perspective on the world. Um, and I think Seer, like, if we were writing a different genre for Seer, this moment is very much like when you find out that, like, I'll use it because obviously it's an analogy for the Jedi Purge. It's World War II, right? And Seer has been captured. And basically the only way for them to avoid the death camp is if they name names, if they give a few people over. And that's kind of essentially what she does is she does something that is morally reprehensible to herself. She sacrifices others for the opportunity to save herself. And that pain will forever make them penitent. They will never repay that debt. They will never get out of that hole. And that's basically where Sira is living, right? She had to imagine her Padawan died because the alternative of I sold my Padawan to the dark side is far more suicidal thought invoking (laughs) than that she just died. And I'm just I'm doing the best I can. And I I have sacrificed my connection to the force. One of the most important things about me, because if I do that 
it will start to make up for the fact of what I did. Absolutely. And these amazingly complex characters and stories are all very Star Wars, but also feel fresh in a lot of ways. And I really, really am enjoying that here as we're getting sort of this seer reveal. Uh, now we head over to Dathomir, which is a place I was not expecting to go. No. And I'm just loving every second of it, right? And I definitely didn't expect to do what we're going to do there. No, not at all. So we meet Marin, who is a night sister, and she's the only night sister left. She was a youngling when her you know clan was slaughtered. And uh, she's the only one. She's been in isolation on this planet, essentially just her and her night brothers. Yes. And, and Cal fights his way through the planet, essentially. And boy, is it a fun planet to explore and creepy as heck. We get the fun of, again, reminding the Jedi and Sith that there is more than you. <laughs> because all these night brothers have, like, green magic arrows and, like, it's it's magic. It's it's a Halloween planet. Um, yeah. Full of just spooky and gothy and... And again, as we get to know Marin throughout the course of the game, I again another character whose trauma is defined by like the 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 purge. You know, in the end game of the Clone Wars, one thing that happens is the Separatists come and they just wipe out the Night Sisters, and no one cares and no one's going to stop them. The Jedi, even if they knew, wouldn't have gone because, like, well, it's the Night Sisters. I wouldn't miss them. Would you miss them? Um, and you know, we 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 saw in. Um, you know, the very, very end of Clone Wars of, like, how much that screwed up Asajj Ventress and, like, how traumatic that is. And Mother Talzin still has this, like, influence that goes through. And Marin is this orphan. And there's this great connection they build over time of, like, she and Cal both have that. They are the products of this centuries-old institutions that have had a way of life that passed from person to person, handed, like, a baton, and they are both now at the end of that. They are the last of their kind. Yes, absolutely. And it's a very interesting place to be, an environment to be in because of the deserted nature of it, right? You know that, you know, if you're feeling it through the force, that awful, terrible things happened here. And this character is basically telling you that. We also meet another character who calls Marcus. himself the Traveler. Mm -hmm. basically an old weary looking man with a long beard and a black cloak uh and he basically at first just gives us a little bit of exposition about the planet although we will come back to him later but before we get to that let's talk about order 66 because this is where we really really get into cal's past and this is sort of the the moment where he becomes his fully realized character here on dathomir he has a vision of basically the end of his Jedi Reliving. career. Yes. And we, as the character, get to play through it as a younger Cal. And we see yeah. they're on a Republic ship. Him and his master are training. And uh, as they well, train, Order 66 say, happens. And all these training missions that we have, like, flashed back to when we're, we're the player, like, learning the mechanics of these floating yes. blocks and yes. stuff, we find out, oh, this is immediately what he was doing right before it, which again adds more credence to the fact of, yes, if everything went sideways with you right after you had just done a demonstration of all the skills you've learned up to now, I understand why you just would, would turn those memories completely off. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it, it may be hard for people to kind of, if you've never been through any serious trauma in your life, it may be hard to understand mm -hmm. sort of how mushy your brain becomes with some of those memories that you just don't want to think about or relive yeah, your, your brain tries to protect you and it literally makes you 
forget or constantly route around that period of your life. Yeah. It's a very weird thing to see so laid out, especially in a Star Wars game. Yeah. You know, you might expect it in some indie game or whatever, but in a Star Wars game, it's a it's a very powerful story that, uh, as we're talking about it here, I really, really enjoy the depth of it. Yes. And it's why this game is so good. It's why this game is so universally loved, in my opinion. Yes, oh, it's yeah. fun to play. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's Star Wars. But the story is what makes this game And again, game. as someone who stinks at this type of game, like, really bad, I love the fact that the accessibility is tunable because I like yeah. that they know that, hey... You know, some people find these games frustrating. So why don't you tune it down a little bit? Because we want you to get the story. Yes. We want you to see the end of this. I did eventually end up turning the difficulty down just because I was enjoying the story so much and was so tired of shock troopers killing me. That, like, <laughs> I just, I got to a point where I just wasn't enjoying myself anymore. And yeah. if I play it again, I might just play it on the story mode. I might just play I, it on the easiest be, setting. And again, and I, I think it's rewarding both ways. Yeah. Um, and so we, we basically find out that... This their whole goal was they were on this cruiser and they were to get to Bracca uh, yes. and they were going to do some mission there. And what happens is that Order 66 is called and there's this, you know, great moment. It echoes, especially the kind of, you know, um, what we're going to see or have seen, depending on when you play the game of what Ahsoka goes through of just that snap turn and what it feels like to be trapped on this ship. There's mm -hmm. no way off. And, Everyone who you're a friend. There's a great part where Cal is like, you know, uh, hamming up and talking to some of the troopers because, you know, they love the kid. Like, yeah, they're they're That's their snips. That's the kid who's been running around. You know, he's the he's the the general's Padawan and they've all gone on missions together and now they want to kill him. Now they have just no will of their own. Their only job is to kill him. And so Cal is like sneaking through the vents and going down corridors that only he can while Jal is running around the ship trying to find a way to get to the hangar bay because both of them are going to try and get on escape pod, get to Bracca and figure out where to go from there because there's immense confusion. They have no idea why this is happening. They have no context in which to understand why Order 66 is falling. The only thing Jal gets is just the fact of like he's feeling that shock wave. Yes. Yeah. Everyone in the galaxy is getting murdered. Yeah, his clone trooper basically raises his blaster behind him and he takes him out. And that's all he knows about the situation. It, it's just kind of survival in its purest form. And we get down to the escape pod and, you know, Jal's taking a few hits, but he's he's this big, burly, four-armed, you know, guy who's ready to go. And he starts like, you know, start the start the engine, get the escape pod ready to go. And then the troops have realized where they are. And so they've convened, you know, there's an entire squad coming in. And Jal can't handle them all. It's like we saw during the Order 6 montage. It's not so much that they can't handle the clone troopers. They can't handle all of the clone troopers. That's right. And because Cal isn't really able to contribute or help here in this moment. And uh, his master is a Lasat, right? Yes. Yes. Same as Zeb from Rebels, which is really nice to see another one of that species. Yeah. Really, really great. Uh, so if you're trying to picture him, just so. Yeah, sorry, not formed. I, I, never mind. No, no, all good, all good. You were uh, but, but, oh, I should translating that in Palm and he's, Yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah, what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, his species. And which... Palm Crow's the same race as Dex, right? He is, yes. Um, so I think, yeah, I was getting that screwed hey, up. Hey, no, it's all good. Um, but one of the things that we should mention about Jal is he has a double-bladed lightsaber. Yes. And, like, the second we see it ignite, if you hadn't picked it up beforehand, it makes it very clearly painful that 
what Cal has been running around with this entire time is one working half of his master's lightsaber. Yes. Which adds again to the fact that, like, there's probably a reason he hasn't ignited it in years before the course of the game. Because <laughs> it's not only his, it's not his lightsaber. It's a reminder of this event we're watching happen because he just keeps taking shot after shot and he just makes the commitment of like, Cal, you are going to get out of here. You are going to survive. I'm going to make sure of that. And basically blocks the doorway so Cal can survive. And he, in the process dies. It's really, really incredible in the game because what's happening is he's there. He's blocking all the shots. He's taking hits. And as the master falls basically back into the escape pod, Cal reaches out with the force and basically freezes the clone troopers the same way we see Kylo mm-hmm. Ren in uh, the beginning of the Force Awakens and then throughout the Force Awakens freeze people. It's yeah. that power as a whole. And in the game, I think it maybe doesn't come across super well that that's what he's doing. The one part that may be a little hard to interpret just because it happens so fast. Right. But you can see the characters get this sort of phased look, almost like they're about to be teleported. Um but it's a very, very interesting little moment. And they, Cal and his master basically have this moment as they're in the escape pod falling to Bracca. His master basically says, I've rigged the ship to explode. They'll think we're dead. Wait for a message from the Jedi and survive. And then that's it. That's it. They crash on Bracca, and Cal is the only one left. And I love the depression that you get of like, and Cal never left. Cal has been on Bracca just trying to find out a way to stay because if we get a little bit of echo of Ray here where Cal's whole thing is just survive until someone comes and picks up, until someone comes and retrieves him. And of course, Destiny has a different plan, but like I love that idea of he never left Bracca. He's never thought about leaving Bracca because this is where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to wait here until, you know, the Jedi Order gets itself up. And that's sort of the the echo that we see in Cal is he thinks if he brings the Order back, he'll bring the Jedi back, and then all of this world will make sense again. And I love the fact he doesn't realize, like, no, kid, if you want to bring it back, it's it's you. Siri's not going to do it for you. No Jedi's going to come out of the wings to help you. Like, if you want to put this back together, it's going to be on you. <laughs> and that is his journey throughout the game. Like we said at the very beginning, trying to find this holocron to bring the Jedi back together. It's not long after this that he has this vision of his master where they're basically his master is, you know, blaming him for what happened. You know, it's it's the equivalent of the cave on Dagobah. Right. Right. It's the equivalent of dealing with the dark past that you have. And Cal eventually realizes he lets his master, you know, strike him down and realizes that he is not to blame for what happened and that he can move on and move past it. But through this vision, he finds that he has destroyed his own saber by essentially gripping it so tight that he's crushed mm-hmm. and damaged it. And uh, it's not long after this that, uh, well, actually, there is one other little moment. Sorry, mm-hmm. I don't want to skip okay, over this good. one. There is the moment where he um, is... Oh, wait, am I going out of order? Sorry, I'm trying to it's make okay. sure I get my order it- right. Uh, God, it's so hard to remember all this. And sometimes it depends on how you play it, too. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's... You go back and forth so many planets, it's hard to remember exactly what Yeah, so after this, he learns the basics of uh, saber construction, I believe, and then we go to Ilum. Yes, that's correct. And on Ilum, it's very fun because it's very much a... 
a journey. It's not so much a fight. It's more, you know, dealing with the elements, scaling the wall, you know, solving the puzzles. That's something we haven't talked about yet, but this game has a pretty significant amount of force puzzles you have to solve. Yes. Basically rooms where you're sort of locked in a room and have to manipulate objects with the force just to um, get out of the room or to make progress in the game. There's a really great moment on Ilum here where he has to use the force to melt the ice, you know, to get in, which is something we see in Clone Wars. You know, we see the ice freeze back over when Yoda's there with the Padawan. So it's just really, really great callbacks here. And on Ilum, he manages to get a new lightsaber crystal, but then it cracks on him as he's holding it. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of Ilum, I believe, is where he does finally be able to construct a saber on his own. And this is where you get your double-bladed saber back up and running. Mm -hmm. And it's great because you as the player of like, yes, it's the fantasy, you know, you get to build your own and you get to customize it. Yeah, it's really, really fun now because you get uh, throughout you're finding crystals and different skins and materials that you can change the color of the lightsaber. The customization is really, really well done. I'm a big fan of it. Yes. We go back to Dathomir after this and uh, we have this moment with Marin where Cal basically is able to teach her, you know, because she's been trying to kill him every time he's been on the planet, Marin, the last remaining night sister. Cal basically has this moment where he teaches her that the Jedi are not as evil as she has been taught. Yes, they may have done things that were not always correct, but they are trying to work towards the best possible outcome. Mm -hmm. And then when he, Cal, ends up in a fight with uh, Malakos, the traveler from earlier, who reveals to be a Jedi who has sort of gone crazy and fallen to the dark side. He's got native on Dathomir. He basically can't be a Jedi. He didn't want to fall to the dark side, so he thought he could maybe master these night magics and find a way back to power that way. Because he's got that great deranged thing of like, look, kid, if you work with me and join me and we become one, we could go crush the Empire. Is that what you want to do? No, not at all. But I've convinced myself that that's why I've let myself become this corrupt monster man. (laughs) (laughs) And they have a really great fight. And uh, it's because of Marin's help that he is able to defeat them, yes. basically. So Marin and Cal essentially team up. And then after this, Cal has a vision of being an Inquisitor. I love this part oh, so much. So good, because everything goes dark, and you essentially pull out your lightsaber to illuminate your path, and it's red, and you're in an Inquisitor outfit. Yeah. And this is sort of the follow-up to the Force vision from earlier, where Cal basically accepts what has happened. This is the Luke Invader's helmet moment where he realizes what would happen if his destiny goes the other way. Yes, absolutely. Um, Okay, so after his vision of an Inquisitor, uh, him and Trilla uh, end up having a fight, and this is where he, you know, sees the vision of her past fully now. So it's not just the emotions of it anymore. He literally sees, because his power has become so strong, strong now and back to him, he literally sees what happens. He sees Seer. He sees Trilla putting on the helmet. You know, he sees everything. And so this is where he really understands. But he also, you know, basically is relating to her. He's saying, you know, I understand this trauma you've gone through. Let me help you. Well, it's like... I have gone through a similar journey to yours, maybe not as physically painful, but um, as emotionally torturous as that. I know what it's like to lose your master. Yours, you know, yours abandoned you and mine did too, but not by choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
Now, uh, when he picks up her saber and has this vision, this, even though she's defeated, this gives her the chance to escape with the holocron. Right. And so he has her saber. She has the holocron. He's back on the ship. And they decide there's only one place she could be going. The home of the Inquisitors, the Inquisitorious. And, and for the record, this was the part of the game where I'm like, okay, out of all the places I knew this game wanted to go, this is not one of them. No. I never thought I, I don't I don't think I thought Star Wars would ever go here is to, you know, the Inquisitor camp, like where they mint new Inquisitors. And the location of where it is is so brilliant. It's this towering like facility just in the middle of like I guess it's an ocean world, but at least it's in the ocean of this world. And I love that most of it is underwater in yeah. just this crushing black nothingness. Yeah. And when you're there, you when you're inside of it, you're like, oh, this feels like this is what Vader's castle would be like. It's just like this Weird. dark, creepy, like, oh my God, it's great. And the whole time, you know what I'm expecting? I'm expecting the Grand Inquisitor. Sure. That's where I'm expecting this to go. And like, oh, this makes sense. This is what it's going to lead to. Cal's going to fight the Grand Inquisitor and maybe die. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really interesting ending Tra if they kill off this character. Tragedy was really on the top of it because like... The one thing that's kind of weird, the only thing that this has some prequelitis with is just the idea of we know this holocron doesn't put the Jedi Order back together. We know that Cal's quest to put the Jedi back together isn't going to work out because they didn't come back. But at the same time, with the way Star Wars is expanding, right, we just in this very same game yeah. learned about the Zepho, this force right. species we've never heard of before, right? This sect of force uses brand new. Yeah. Star Wars. So at this point in one game, we have four different sects of Force users. It wasn't, in my opinion, out of the realm of possibilities for Cal to go out into the unknown oh. regions and start a new Jedi Order that we would have never heard about. Like, anything felt possible well, here going into this no, final bit of the game. What, what I mean is, because we know that the Jedi Order doesn't come back to the galaxy, what I was, I'm saying with that and knowing that, it made me go like, Oh, Cal doesn't have to survive this. Oh, yeah. There's no reason he has to make it out of here, Especially right? Especially when this game doesn't feel like it's going to be a sequel thing. This no. game felt, as you're playing it, like a full and complete story. Every thread was paying off. Every character had a moment, you know, a growth. Um, really, really just well thought out and done. And as they're making their way through this awesome underwater base here... Um, Cal and Trilla end up having their final fight and he yeah. does defeat her. Mm -hmm. And she has this sort of emotional moment where she's starting to come back to the light side. You know, he's mm -hmm. injured her, but not killed her. He's letting her live. And, you know, uh, Seer basically who's there with him apologizes to her and says, you know, I was wrong. I didn't mean to do, you know, what I did, uh, led you down they, this path. They stitch together their trauma and sort of heal each other in the sense of like yeah. Trilla understands that, her master the human side of why her master did what they did yeah. like it's not graceful but we understand survival is a very hard instinct to fight yeah. and then you know for seer it's acknowledging the fact that i i am part of this i mm -hmm. caused this and that you are alive and it is bad of me to have not tried before now right. to save you but right I'm here now right and with that moment, with that revelation, she also reconnects with the Force, Seer does. Yeah. Because she realizes the Force is a part of me, the Force is a part of my life, and I cannot be ignoring it anymore because by ignoring it, I've let my Padawan here to suffer. 
Yes. And then as Trilla is kind of, she's like kneeling on the ground, hunched over, and she's very like, you know, emotional and like on the verge of tears. Just drained. Yeah. And then all of a sudden her eyes just get wide and the camera's focused on her and it's just like her labored breathing and we don't really know what's going on. And this lasts for like four or five seconds. Like they really oh, draw they let it, it out. Oh, they draw it out. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden you hear like a clank. Like I, I described it as like a cat jumping off of a bed, just like a plunk. Yeah. And then a slow trotting, like clank, clank, clank. And then a few seconds later, you hear the breathing. And this whole time, you can see it. You're only seeing in the character's face and basically smoke behind her. And you're seeing all of this moment. And then Vader appears above her. And you can tell how petrified he is. And they're not even showing Cat. Like, they're not showing any of our main character. They're focused on her, and it's so great in this moment. So the two things I want to say about this was, one, I was with you. Most of the environmental storytelling is showing, like, the cells where the Inquisitors have been kept, the torture chambers, the training centers, just how brutal this installation is. And all the, like, messaging is about the Grand Inquisitor is the big bad. The Grand Inquisitor, like... He serves the emperor directly, you know, he is this just force and he's the the evil headmaster of this evil school. <laughs> yes. So that's who you're expecting is like, that's going to be the reveal is going to be. And nothing, literally nothing prepared me. And it should have. He's the most important piece of I Star Wars IP. Yeah. But like, there's Vader. And you're like, oh, crap. And that just speaks to how well the game is designed and the story is built. And when they see Vader, if I remember correctly, Trilla's just like, avenge us. Like, that's all she said. Oh, yeah. And no, Trilla's were dead. There's yeah. no. And so she, he, Vader comes up behind her. He basically jumps down behind her and says, you have failed me, Inquisitor, or something like that. And then literally within a moment, he just takes his saber and slices off her head. Yep. Cal is like, that is not good. What is that? And Sears like, no, it's not good. The, Run. The, the great thing is, yeah, Trilla's like, we're dead. Yeah. Because I know exactly who this thing is. Yeah. Because this is the boogeyman that the Inquisitor, the Grand Inquisitor fears. Yeah. Um, Sears and Cal have this moment of like, again, the horrible trauma of like, we just saved her. Oh, God, this is terrible. Yeah. But I like what you just said there. And the kind of value of like, what is that thing? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not a person. It's. It's a wrecking ball of a thing. Yeah. And it's this great terrifying moment because Seer just runs at him and he just throws her off the platform with the force. Like she doesn't even get a swing in. I was pretty sure she was dead there too. I'm like, that's it. She's gone. Yeah. I assume she was. And that is actually my one gripe about the game, but we'll talk about it in a minute. But what's great about it. And I think very good. And again, echoing where Vader was at this time where we had just had that joyous scene from Rogue One of him just destroying that hallway. Oh, yeah, Rogue One would have been out already. You're right. God, um, this feels like so and, long ago. Well, again, 2020 and 2020. Yeah, Rogue One is five years old this winter. Yeah, no, we... Um, <laughs> um, but... Oh, boy. This is that Vader. You cannot fight him. Mm-hmm. You cannot win against him. Running is your only option. And the game does a great job of if at any level you turn back towards him during this sequence, he just demolishes you. There's yeah, no, it's over. You, you, you don't even, you you get to token fights, so the game goes, oh, you tried, but there's no way to win against Vader. Mm-mm. And it really sells the idea of something that I think is something Star Wars has been doing a good job about of Vader has been so populist and in so many things, he's lost some of his potency and they are doing a j- job of bringing it back of like, no, 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 
when he makes the Luke Skywalker, who is his son, yes, he's going to put on the kid gloves. He's not trying to kill Luke at any point, really, during the original trilogy. If you're not his blood relative, you're so murdered. Like, it reestablishes just how much to a normal person or anyone under, like, God-level power, how terrifyingly powerful and inevitable like that's the other thing you said the clunking the like mm-hmm. you can hear him walking behind you casually because you can run as far and as fast as you come but like frankenstein or My- mike yeah. myers he's going to just be a few steps behind you at all times it is vader so like it's funny because when you think of classic horror trips because that's exactly where my mind went to right you have your mike myers who traditionally you know new movies aside slow methodical like he's just he's watching he's a stalker right he's inevitable and he's opportunistic but someone like jason right from friday the 13th part two and on is more what i think of as vader because Mm -hmm. not only is he incredibly big and intimidating but when he needs to he moves fast like the whole thing with jason is jason is like this character who is not only big and strong but sneaky and will just pop up in front of you yeah. Whereas Mike Myers, especially in the original movies, feels more like a person who is stalking you right. versus a force of evil. And that's what Vader... I mean, Vader's always been that, but media has been doing a better job of making, of showing us that. I think putting him back in the boogeyman role. Yeah, putting him back absolutely. into when the Emperor calls him, it's because someone screwed up Royal. <laughs> they, they need dead with prejudice. <laughs> Um, yeah, for sure. And so we fight our way through the corridors and, uh, you know, Cal gets to the point where, no, he can't outrun this thing. This <laughs> this black masked monster man, no matter what Cal's doing, there's no escape. And again, that pressure of this is how Cal dies. This yeah. is really crazy. I was becoming more and more convinced that he was just going to get stabbed in the, the hallway. This is a like, tragedy. This yeah. is There's no way to win this. It's just, yep. where's the Pyrrhic victory? Where's the cow dies, but yep. things are a little bit better because of what he did. Yep. The only reason I even had a hint that he might survive is because there were still two characters on their ship. Like, mm-hmm. if everybody had been there, that would have been it. I'm, I'm convinced. Right. So he gets to this hallway, which basically, if you don't know, if or if you didn't hear earlier, is a glass underwater walkway, basically. So they're yeah. under under this ocean. And uh, Vader comes in, and he's chasing Cal down. And it's only because Seer managed to survive earlier. Mm-hmm. She jumps back in and blocks Vader's saber. And then they destroy the glass, letting the water in. Seer gets knocked unconscious. Cal drags her out. And Vader is distracted long enough, holding the water back. Which is so cool they're able to get away. Yes, yes, it really, really is. We also get to see Seer use this really awesome, like, force shield, essentially. Yeah. She basically raises this, like, white... It almost looks like the shields in episode one. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of like that, like almost like milky look like it's like white slash it's like it switches between trier uh clear and like opaque it's like this like yeah I, wave. I, I think you're right like the 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 shield effect they use for like the droidicas in episode one is something kind of akin of like just when energy's hitting it it has more of a milky texture yeah. and in the center but it, it is just force it is just a wall of i love it so much i love watching it and uh basically marin getting her sort of final moment because she has joined our hero on his adventure now she is on the mantis dives into the water pulls them up and saves them 
And the final scene of the game here is basically they're all back on the Mantis together. They do successfully have the holocron. Mm-hmm. And basically, they Seer says to Cal, this is your journey now. You pick what we do from here. And Cal activates the holocron, looks at it, and decides that all of these Force children, their destiny will be left up to the will of the Force. He will not go and change their destiny for what he believes to be the best path. And it feels so earned because of we have seen the two we've seen what happened to Marin we've seen what's happened to Trilla we've seen what's happened to Cal he's experienced all the trauma these kids had trying to live up to the force orders they were told to be part of and he sort of just kind of says no we're gonna go a new path those kids will have whatever destiny they and the force choose I don't I'm not gonna steal that from them and with that he takes his lightsaber and slices the holocron in half destroying it so that way the names can never fall into imperial hands right setting us up for a potential sequel that i am so excited for i don't know if i've ever had a game that i've anticipated as much in my adult life as the sequel to Fallen Order. And I think it's so great because at the end, it feels so clear of, I don't know what adventures they're going on or like, you know, is Cal going to start doing the rebellion? Like, I don't know what his next piece of his puzzle. It could be anything. Um, but what I like is, but he's got this crew. He's yeah. earned his power. He's a yeah. leader now. He is going to go off and do something important. And he's already done one of the most impossible feats in the Star Wars universe. He met Darth Vader and is not dead. Um, <laughs> very true. And so like, I'm really looking forward to, you know, things like maybe, uh, a, a touch with like, f- you know, Fulcrum. I'm looking forward to maybe another touch with like the rebel cells and how does he support them? But maybe like with Saw Gerrera, not really join them because he has a bigger picture view of this conflict. Um, and also stupid things like I, yeah, I want him and I want him and Marin to kiss. They, they, they're a cute couple. <laughs> Both, yes. both weirdo kids. They get each other. It'll be interesting to see if in the next game, you know, she is his Padawan. If he has taken on a new Padawan, it does maybe feel like that's where this will go. Um, but I cannot wait for more. I mean, I, I think um, the acting is all great in the game. I think everything about it really is just a very successful game. Um I can't wait to play it eventually again on a newer console, you know, play well, a, a smoother version of it. I would say the nice thing is this is an easy game to get a hold of. A, it goes on sale a lot. If you have EA access or some access to EA access, you can just play it for free. Um, it was uh, launched on the previous generation consoles, like we said, in November of 2019. It was relaunched for PlayStation 5 and Xbox One and the PC. Uh, I think it's the definitive edition. Um, but that is available at higher yeah. resolutions and frame rates. Uh, that came out this summer, so it it's accessible and for sure. I can't think of a person other than someone who just hates video games. I wouldn't recommend it to. It's completely agree. so good. Completely agree. So if you haven't played it, go play it. Even with all these spoilers, it is still worth playing. It is a very. There's a lot we didn't include. No. So go check oh, it, it out. The for pilot sure. of the Mantis. We didn't even mention him, but that's I, okay. Uh, <laughs> I just want you to enjoy him as he comes. Yeah. I uh, we didn't talk about like growing plants. There's a lot we didn't talk about, um, and I highly, highly recommend it. All right. Let's move on to something else.
All right, another episode of Star Wars All In comes in to land. Uh, it was a great one. I just want to mention the fact that, like, this game is great. Go play it. We've already said Highly that. Highly recommend. Um, I think it was so cool to be part of the reveal of it and just getting so excited about what it was going to become. And um, I also want to say something. I've said it before, but I haven't said it probably in a year. This and The Mandalorian are why I don't really have many problems with Rise of Skywalker. Because I was like, that movie could be even more trash than it, you know, and I wouldn't have cared because Fallen Order and Mandalorian put so much hope mm-hmm. in these pillars of Star Wars. I'm like, mm-hmm. Star Wars is going to be fine. It's going to yeah. be fine. There will always be great creators making Star Wars. Maybe yes. just not in the space that we expect. Speaking of which, we do have one important news thing to talk about, and that is the indefinite delay of Rogue Squadron. Due to an apparent scheduling conflict with the director who they had already signed and planned out a path for making the movie. Uh, so it's a very interesting oh, thing. I yeah. Heard, this is the first time hearing this. Yeah. It's I, a, it, on November, I go off social media, yeah. mostly because I do uh, National Novel Writing Month and yeah. I can't be distracted. Totally um, understandable. This was just, as of the time of recording, this was just announced a few days ago. Okay. Basically, uh, as reported uh, by, I think, Deadline, broke the story. Um, Patty Jenkins uh, is still planning to make her Rogue Squadron movie. They are still massaging the skipped, but it has been delayed indefinitely due to a scheduling conflict. Well, that makes sense because, I mean, what's happening in movies right now, you're seeing it with, like, I just watched The Eternals. And, like, the end of The Eternals is great, but I don't know where it's going to go because whatever its original plan, the original dot it was connecting to is probably months, if not years, further out than it was originally planned because the thing with, like, scheduling right now is... Movies are still really hard to make, so shoots that should be like 28 days are going to like 35 or 40 days. And so, like, it's this one car stops real slow, it hits the bumper of one, which hits the next bumper, which hits the next bumper, and... You see, especially these franchise kids yeah. are really screwed up. They were talking about that with James Bond, how James Bond is like 18 months late. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, the ending of James Bond, what do you think the future is going to be like? I don't know, but I know they've had to be planning it and are about to start production on the next one because they have to. So they didn't get a chance to wait yeah. to see how you responded to it because they had to start it because that movie was in the can like two years ago. <gasps> yes. It's a very, so in it's weird, my take on it though, or my sure. opinion on it is understandable. COVID has messed up a lot of things. Yeah. But you announced this a year ago. Mm-hmm. You've already pushed it back a year from its initial release date. Mm. Right. Lucasfilm, you need to get your directors together when you're making movies. Like, if you're signing on, like, I guess what I'm saying is, I oh, don't believe this is what they're saying it is. I believe they've fired her because Wonder Woman 84 was so awful. And you didn't like Wonder Woman 84? I like Wonder Woman 84. Oh, I like it better than Wonder Woman. the person in the world, I think, who does. Cool. Well, I like it better than the original Wonder yeah. Woman because I love the original Wonder Woman when it came out in yeah. theaters. And then I watched it in yeah. front of 84 and I go, these are the same quality movie. And anyone who doesn't think so has not watched Wonder Woman in a while. I do need to go. I've only seen the original Wonder Woman once. To be fair, the, but I don't remember the original Wonder Woman having an issue where uh, planes at a museum were fueled up just ready to fly uh, like 10 times longer than they actually could. Oh, but that plane uh, is so cool. They're like, <laughs> okay, let me just put it this way. I was really excited about Rogue Squadron because Patty Jenkins likes planes, and I can tell that from 84. Sure. And I'm like, yes, I would love, give me Top Gun in space. Maybe she can um, make a great Star Wars movie. But here's my thing. You know but, what? I am definitely on the other side of this coin because I go, I'm glad they're delaying it because you know what I don't want? 
is her to have done all the pre-production and guided the movie to where it is, yeah. and then they hire another director. Yeah. Because see, we've already seen how lopsided that makes movies feel but in Star Wars. See, that's what I'm so unsure of is, according to everything, they have not even started pre-production. They're still working on the script. So why oh. have we gone so far through this and we don't even have a finished script yet? Like, well, finished scripts what, come later, but like if pre-production, like if we don't know... Pre-production was supposed to start, I think, yeah, if, early in 2022. If the art department hasn't been spun up, that's weird. Uh, and that sounds like weird, what it, That right? sounds like what it... Well, you know what that really comes down to? Disney, why did you announce a date when you yes, had no idea what yes, you were doing? That is ultimately my gripe. If they want to let Patty Jenkins make a movie and roll the dice on that, that's fine. But... Well, it's so weird that this keeps that, that happening. announcement felt like it should be like Patty Jenkins has been hired to right. develop a Rogue Squadron movie. Right. That's it. Not, hey, Rogue Squadron coming this year. Next Star like, Wars movie. Yeah. Because that, that like you said to me, that means that the treatment's done. The, it's been greenlit. It's been budgeted and Agreed. pre-production's about to start. I, I couldn't agree more. The oh, other side of it is like, OK, if you're going to go through all this, right? And, like, announce this and do everything and then say it's delayed indefinitely due to a scheduling conflict. I'm sorry, you're Disney making a Star Wars. That's more important than Warner Brothers Wonder Woman 3. Agreed. Like, what are we doing here? Well, the, the other like thing... Like, Cleopatra, I think, is the other movie she's making. That gets precedent? Really? Because if that's the case, then this isn't the director for you. Like, well, I, I am just no so offense, no offense, tired again, of Star Wars movies being given the shaft. It's, it's very weird because, like, again, I, I obviously just from a, I have right, a higher opinion right, than Patty right, Jenkins. Right, and right. You fine. have not had a chance to think about and, it. Well, well, and that's a side, right? Like, I think Patty Jenkins is great. And I think that Rogue Squadron sounds like a movie she could make really, really well. Sure. Now, that being said, that. we'll put that all aside. Yeah. Where I'm coming from emotionally is Disney. Are you trying to tell me? That it's going to be what now? Four or five years yeah. from Rise of Skywalker till you make another Star yeah, Wars movie. That's yes. And also, okay, where are your other Star Wars movies? Well, we're, we're not sure we're developing them. I'm sorry, what what are you doing here? Like, yeah. yes, TV is great, but Marvel has proven that like the movies are the tent poles in which the the TV shows sing, right? They are great as a longer, more meditative piece of these characters, but the bursts of energy are always going to come from the movies because that's where you have the giant budgets and right. the real pool of star power that you don't get in TV. You just don't because they're just budgeted differently. Right. And and so I'm like, you need another Star Wars movie. Like Rogue One, Rogue Squadron already felt like, oh, well, that's great. We have one on the radar. Like we know that there's going to be mm-hmm. a future for Star Wars film. But like what happened to the one that, you know, um, uh, Ryan Johnson was going to work on that. Apparently, just disappeared. Old trilogy was supposed to happen. Yeah. Where was those guys who were working on uh, maybe the Old Republic who worked on like Game of Thrones? That's disappeared. So we have the Taika Waititi project. Taika Waititi's suppo- project is still happening supposedly, but he has actively said he's finishing Thor first, which is fine. I mean, that makes sense. He was already working on it, especially because Thor should quote unquote be done at this point. It should be in the last stages of post, and it is, I believe. I believe because it's there's also May? the. There's also the Kevin Feige project. Yes. Which is a movie. So we do have movies on the horizon. But what kills me is announcing a date, then pushing it back a year, and now delaying it indefinitely. You didn't get your director to say, yes, you're blocked off in these months and don't schedule anything else. I don't believe that. Well, the Tycho project and the way they announced it, if Tycho's working on a movie with us, 
is how you should have announced Panic exactly. Jenkins movie. You instead of like what you had three days to film that that other trailer, like the of her getting into a pilot suit, like use that for like just. I'm so tired of the movies feeling like people just don't care about them. Apparently, like Disney just seems to not care if they make a good Star Wars movie. Since um, after The Last Jedi. That was the last time they seemed to have cared. No, I don't even think it was that. I, I think they knew that those movies were important and that was where the franchise's like, heart and soul was. But I really think that like after Rise, after Last Jedi and Rise both didn't do, for different reasons, the things they wanted them to do. Right. I think they just kind of went of like, oh, I don't know. We don't know where we're going to go with Star Wars. We know it's a good kids brand. We know that like Rebels is doing kind of is doing great. We know that we can keep hitting that core demographic. And this Mandalore thing, you guys all super duper love that. Great. Maybe we should just make those. They're way cheaper. Um, and like now I'm, I'm film is always going to be my favorite thing. Film has had like probably 10 years as a mass media shaved off its life thanks to COVID. Um, and like, I'm sorry, a streaming premiere of like, um, a star Wars movie that's three and a half hours or four hours long to me is where this all feels like it's heading. And I hate it. I hate it with every fiber of my being. I would feel so much more confident about star Wars future. If I knew a constellation of here, I, I want, here's a timeline like Marvel has done. Here is phase two yeah. of, of Disney's star Wars. And yeah. these are the TV shows and the movies that are going to support it. And we are not telling you exactly when they are, but we're telling yeah. you the order in which they're coming. And for their star Wars projects on TV, we have kind of that roadmap. Yeah. Where's the rest of it. Where's your game strategy. Yeah. Where's your movie strategy. And you can say all you want that like, well, they're getting there. It's been seven years. They've owned this property for seven years. And to be honest, we've been in the wilderness since the original, the sequel trilogy ended. Like, yeah, I knew where things were going. And, we, and again, we just talked about Fallen Order, Fallen Order, Mandalorian uh, and, uh, you know, um, Rise of Skywalker all you. started at the same time. I was about to say The Rise of Skywalker again. Um, it is The Rise of Skywalker. You were oh, right. Well, I was going to say The Rise of the Skywalker. Oh, yes, I was going to yes, screw it yes, up. Yes, yes. My tongue you. was tying on it. You. But those three things came out holiday 2019. That felt like a cohesive strategy. Yep. Wh Triple Force wh Friday, wh baby. Wh where, where have we been since then? Like, it feels like Star Wars has had these fits and starts of, oh, here's the Bad Batch. We did work on that. Great. You're going to like that. Uh, here's Mando. Oh, High actually, High we're going to make a Mando spinoff as well. Um, and we have this publishing initiative that's going to get delayed, and that's understandable. But, like, it feels like – I guess the point is those feel isolated, and that's okay. But it doesn't feel like – we'll talk about it at the end of the year. But, like, I know there's a lot of exciting things happening in Star Wars in 2022, and I don't know how they synergize with each other at all. They uh, don't. And that's okay. It's okay to have projects sprinkled about – but I think all we're really saying, Mac, is we miss going to a movie theater to see a Star Wars. Yes. And this is just such another slap in wow, the face that's, um... of them just seemingly not caring about the films. Yeah. And that's upsetting, especially well, when the film that we were all hyped about was like, hey, we're going to make Rogue Squadron. You all and like be, and love that, right? And I'll be that absolute It's got Rogue jerk. in the name. Remember the last one that had Rogue in the name? You liked that. And I'll be an absolute jerk. Well, I think Patty Jenkins is a good pick for that. Uh, out of sure. the corral. I don't uh, have wait, wait. any uh, the corral people. I'm going to go like, I'll be blunt. I'm sorry. How hard is it to make a Rogue Squadron movie? Just go tape Top Gun's plot, add a more diverse cast, and go do it. 
Yeah. Like it's this isn't rocket science. This isn't like, oh, I want to tell a story about the first Jedi or something really complicated and you need a lot of time to think about what that means to a franchise or something. We still this is yeah. fighter pilots shooting down TIE fighters. We still don't even hard. know if Rogue Squadron takes place during between like episodes four and five or after I Rise Gary, of Skywalker. We still don't I know. I know it has TIE fighters and X Wings. Are they first order TIE fighters or Imper- I don't care. I just know there's gonna be a a plane with four guns shooting up plane with two guns and it's going to be great and it's going to be green lasers and red lasers and it's going to be amazing and to be blunt it's not that complicated i hope they make something really beautiful and wonderful out of this but it's it's like delayed inevitably it it, it just really rings as so you're not sure what you want to do with stars you are and and we get back to the cool so just remind me Favreau and Filoni aren't in charge of your company and left to their own devices because... Yeah. It's... <laughs> because mean, they're, they're the yeah. only ones holding the torch and saying, like, this is the future of Star Wars. But more importantly, like, I guess the biggest thing is we have a plan. Yeah. Like, the Bad Batch feels like it has a plan and trajectory that will lead to future projects. Right. The Mandalorian is already going to have its first spinoff starting at the end of this year, and that feels like a universe builder where I know that era of Star Wars and how we're going to build from here. Yes. The High Republic feels like we are building something yes. here. The movies feel like, I guess we should make a Star Wars. Guys, should we put a Star Wars on the calendar? Yeah. yeah. All right. Put that on the to-do list. Yeah. That should come around to that. And, it, yeah, And exactly. the same with video games in the sense of until the EA bro- deal broke, and now we have... Ubisoft announcing one and you know we've got the Fallen Order 2 is is imminent as far as that should be announced in the next six months probably like those feel like oh we're finally starting to let Star Wars go forward absolutely I agree completely uh it's fine it's fine nothing against Patty Jenkins I'm sure she can make a good movie but I'm sorry if you had told us five years ago that Cleopatra would take precedence over the next Star Wars I don't I, think you understand how much of a prestige piece that is, but that's okay. I, I, I just, we're at a point now where it's just like, this is just getting ridiculous. That's Hollywood would, uh, loving itself because it's based on the original Cleopatra, one of the great epics. I get it. Trust I, me. I just, it's, it's, it's cool. Dude, it's this just, is the world I live in where I think Dune sounds like it's an amazing movie and I will watch it in two years when I can watch all of it because they released a part one and don't advertise that it's part one. But when you start the movie, it says part one. Yeah. I'm like, when I saw The Matrix in the 2000s, great. I had to wait six months, not two years. I know. Remember Pirates 2 and 3, too? Yeah. Oh, anyway, the good old so, days. okay, we don't need to wax about movies used to be better. Uh, great <laughs> well, they, times. Yeah. We are in a good place, yeah. despite this bump in the road. Yeah. Star Wars is in a good place. The Book of Boba Fett trailer came out. It's absolutely amazing. It is made for me. It shows and me us exclusively. nothing. Love that. The Athorian has a vocabulator, and it makes me so happy. And, oh, Tamara Morrison's so good. I know. But we will talk about that in the future because I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.